It is episode 57 of the Glass of Joe podcast with PJ Glasser. I'm Joe Malpa. So glad to have you with us. And this week, we are fully in football mode. We bring back Pete Haley, reporter for the Washington football team. We dive into Washington football team, NFC East, NFC, AFC, all things Pete Haley and his PPPP. I don't know if I forgot a P, but his Pete a lot of player P's. prop parlays <laughs> on TikTok. We dive into it all with Pete Haley coming up next. Joined for the fourth time by our good friend, Washington football team reporter for NBC Sports Washington, the one and only Pete Haley. Pete, it's great to see you. How are you, my guy? Uh, it's really good, guys. I think this is uh, the second time we've done an NFL preview together. So not only yes. am I a fourth time guest, but this is my second time being the guest for this specific episode. I feel tremendously honored. PJ, how many times have we had C-Mill on? Is it four? This makes, uh, this makes Pete our second, Pete's our second four-time guest. Yep. Time guess so. But yeah, he's right. I, Go ahead, Pete. Yeah, I saw Seamill yesterday at practice. Actually, he came to do a sit down with Ron Rivera, and I didn't think to uh, give him a little nudge and say, "Hey, I'm right on your heels, pal. You know, keep, <laughs> keep it going, or else I'm going right. to overtake you in the number Glass one spot." Joe, one two up there. Battle there you go. Five. There you go. Well, we know training camp is a grind for players, coaches, and media, so we appreciate you taking the time. Uh, did you realize just how much you missed being back in Ashburn after not having that last year? I kind of knew I did miss it, of course, but it is really fun to go there. And it's not just for the watching of football that takes place, but it's also hanging out with all the other reporters, the guys from ESPN, the Post, the Times, et cetera. Um, it's just, it's a good crew. We've seen a lot of crap together through the years. <laughs> uh, you see them more than your family a lot of the time. And you just kind of stand on the sideline and you can talk about the fourth cornerback battle. And then all of a sudden you're talking about who won gambling bets last night and then you know, who's got this, uh, you know, sick kid at home. It, it's a very fun time to bond with them. But yeah, also the interviewing players has been great. We get to do that in person again, albeit a little bit distance. Uh, we've now done a lot of pressures with Ron in person. I think he's starting to get used to uh, our faces, our lovely faces. So it's been a really good time out there in Ashburnie. Do you have a favorite camp story, whether from this year or any past years covering the team? Yeah, my first camp there, uh, maybe it was in Richmond, was about 2016 or so. And I went down, uh, first time really being on the road as a member of NBC. And uh, we went out that night and I, I always get a little excited going out and I want to make a good impression, have fun. I, I never really known Mitch Tischler that night. So he kind of got his big paws on me and uh, turned me into a, a drinking fiend. And at like you know, <laughs> midnight, uh, I turned around, there was a loose shot on the bar, grabbed it and drank it. And then there was an old pile of nachos and a bowl of nacho cheese queso that had been congealed for god knows how long and i just started eating it and the chips would go into the queso they would break because the queso had basically turned into a gelatinous thing and i kept just eating it and i woke up the next morning and mitch said pete after last night's performance you're my guy for the rest of my life so it was a uh, <laughs> embarrassing moment that evening but i think i ended up earning the respect of my colleagues so wow. in the end it was worth gross it. Yeah. embarrassing but also incredible all at yeah. once. A little yeah. rookie hazing turned into one of the guys. Nicely done. <laughs> That's as simple as that, man. It's it's really good. I'm sure my family and parents are really proud. You know, I lost my credit card that trip. I oh, came home no. And, yeah, my mom was, you know, like really horrified at the company I was keeping, but they've become some of my best friends ever. So I think it all was worth it in the end. Now, Pete, talk to me about the defense. We know <clears throat> that Washington's going to have one of the better defenses in football have they looked as advertised so far in your eyes during camp? Defensive line certainly has. Chase Young has looked like his A-plus self. Montez Sweat has also been really active, too. Um, 
I think those two will be really good bookends. Of course, they talked about wanting to break the combined sack record, which is 39. That's damn near impossible. If they do it, then, um, you know, I would be, my jaw would go through the floor and then the floor below it. And then the floor below that. But um, I do think they can easily get 25, 27 sacks between the two of them. Um, I've been a little bit worried about William Jackson, the third, the big signing out there from Cincinnati who's supposed to be the number one corner. He just hasn't looked very comfortable. He was a, primarily a man guy with the Bengals, and he's being asked to play a little bit of his own here in addition to his man responsibilities. And the transition just hasn't gone so smoothly. He's talked a lot about how new it is. Now, of course, there's plenty of time for him to still get his feet wet and improve, but I'm always nervous when you take a corner from system A and try and plug him into system B. So hopefully the coaches can get him into a group because he's going to make this defense a lot more well-rounded. Then Jamin Davis have high hopes for him for the next 10 years, but this year, might be a little bit of a slow start just because it's they're asking him to do a lot and make a lot of the calls. And for a guy who didn't play a ton at Kentucky games-wise, that might be a bit of a challenge. So uh, D-line, love it. I think the defense overall will be hitting its stride down the end of the uh, stretch run, but they do have to survive some pretty nasty quarterback battles to ensure that when they're clicking, they're clicking and trying to make the playoffs as opposed to coming down to like a 7-10 and 10 season. Would your jaw hit the floor fast enough that they break the record to break the congealed nacho cheese, though? That's the real tre- test of strength there. Dude, I'm, I'm honestly, that cheese, you could you could have sat on it. You could have you know parked your car on top of it. It was very hard to get through. I basically <laughs> needed like a jackhammer. So uh, oh, God. I think my jaw would be able to get through it because it would drop with quite a bit of force if they did get to 39. But uh, anything else, really, it's I shouldn't have eaten that cheese. I'm still happy to be alive, honestly. <laughs> the offense, Pete, how's the quarterback battle look in between Fitz and Heineke? Is this Fitz team in your eyes? And then... A lot of people are expecting Gibson to have a big year. How's the Curtis Samuel edition been looking? What would have been your thoughts on the offense? Yeah, I am pretty optimistic about the offense. I was going into camp, and what I've seen from Fitzpatrick hasn't diminished that at all. There, I thought maybe there's going to be a bit of a battle, but there isn't. It's going to be his job. Heineke hasn't looked as good as you would have hoped, but that also might just be he had that one-hit wonder against the Bucks, and he's showing us who he really is. And I think right. he can still improvise and be a good backup, but. I don't think unless Fitz is just really, really atrocious for three or four games in the row. Uh, I just don't know if Heineke's shown enough to be breathing down his neck. Um, Fitzpatrick's gotten definitely better. Him and Terry McLaurin look tremendous together. Him and Logan Thomas have a really awesome connection. And then him and Adam Humphreys are uh, very, very close from their days in Tampa. So I think the offense is going to be really legit. Gibson, yeah, I'm a little bit worried about his toe. He says it's fine. It's the injury that kind of derailed at the end of his year last year. He didn't have surgery. Um, and he, Looks pretty explosive, but a toe injury for a running back that big, you never know when it's going to pop up again. But um, they're talking about using him like Christian McCaffrey. So I think he's definitely got the versatile skill set to do so. And the offensive line, I think, is going to be solid. So um, Curtis Samuel being on PUP and COVID list for so much of this camp has dampened my excitement there a little bit. But as long as he comes back with his normal speed, I think this group can put up a ton of points. And keep an eye on Deami Brown, the third-round pick from North Carolina. I don't think he'll have the type of rookie year that McLaurin did as a fellow speedy third rounder uh, in his first year in the NFL, because there are going to be more options overall for Pitts to throw to. But I think Brown is going to be a stud and he's wearing number two, which is just the coolest thing a wide out can do. <laughs> I think maybe Taylor Heineke is going to show why Matt Flynn was trending the night that he had that game. It was one game in the end. The brakes needed to be pumped in a big, big way, but I hope the best for him. So it'd be, it'd be fun to see if he can do anything with that. Uh, you maybe teased it there a little bit with Brown. And the next question is, you gave us the Logan Thomas pick last year as a sleeper to watch for the Washington football team. So 
claps for you. Um, Help me out in fantasy. Is, is there one this year that you're looking at? Is it Brown or is there someone else? I'm glad you brought that up. I had no idea I did that. So thank you very much for reminding <laughs> me. Uh, Brown's definitely one. And that would probably be my little fantasy tidbit is grab him kind of late. And, you know, if Samuel gets banged up or what have you, I think he's going to be a pretty big part of this offense. But I'll go to the defensive side for this one. Their third-round corner out of Minnesota, Benjamin St. Juice. He's a bigger guy. He doesn't necessarily have the speed that Kendall Fuller and WJ3 have, but he's physical. He's really good at the point of the catch, and I think he can be kind of this an X factor here. Jamie Davis, of course, is the rookie on defense that gets the attention, but St. Juice, when they use him on the outside, William Jackson on the outside, and Fuller in the slot, that's a pretty good trio, and he's been all over the place on defense here in camp. So um, he's a guy I really didn't hear of at all. He's from Canada. Uh, you know, French background. He played a lot of hockey growing up, I believe. And, but he's out here just kind of being dominant. Uh, and he kind of gets some Richard Sherman comps, Ron Rivera comparison to Charles Tillman, both physical guys who are known not only for being great in coverage, but making plays on the ball, forcing fumbles and making tackles. So I think he's going to be a very nice contributor. And one of those guys who, uh, you know, starts getting a lot of love from advanced stats, PFF, et cetera, for being a really good player in some sub packages. You know, when you guys got Brown in the draft, outside of like the big three receivers, Chase, Smith, and Waddle, he was probably one of my favorites, just watching him in college at Carolina. So I thought that was a great pick. He's going to be a great deep threat too. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm um, hearing your, your college opinion. I value it very highly because I know how much you care and how much you watch. So, I mean, that's like Mel Kuyper saying that to me. I hold you guys in the same breath. So I do think he'll be Really, really good. And he's shown off, you know, his Carolina tape was basically straight down the sideline every yeah. touchdown. He's been a little more well-rounded with his routes than I thought. He's uses that speed to get open on slants. Guys have to play off him. So I do think he'll be uh, a threat on all three levels, not just on a 50 or 60 yard bomb here or there. Now, Pete, you know, we like to do the seven questions with you for the AFC and the NFC. Before we get into that, we always got to ask you about kind of the expectations for the season. But for this one, there is high pretty much as I can remember. I mean, people are saying that this could be a dark horse team to kind of win the NFC outside of maybe like Green Bay, Tampa, and the Rams, teams like that. Do you think this year is a disappointment if Washington doesn't win a playoff game? Just forget getting to the playoffs, but do you think they have to win one? And is it the first time since that Eagles three-peat in the early 2000s that we have a repeat division winner in the NFC East, more importantly, because I bet on that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I do think that in the end they'll win the NFC East and again the only argument in my head that makes me nervous saying that is their difference in quarterbacks are so strong they're playing Mahomes, Allen, Wilson, not Danucci, Dalton and (laughs) Sudfeld like they were last year but on the flip side they have Fitzpatrick and while he's definitely has his warts I think he can be light years ahead of Smith and Haskins so hopefully those two cancel out and then just the additions all over the roster make them better Um, I think the baseline should be to win a playoff game is get there and win one of course, you know, if you go 11 and six and all of a sudden you lose on a last second field goal in the playoffs and, you know, maybe you feel OK about things. It just didn't go your way. But um, I do think they repeat as division champs. I think they're better than the Cowboys overall. And I'm not really giving too much stock to the Eagles or Giants. I think it'll be a two horse race in the NFC East. And yeah, I'm not quite buying into the their threat to the Bucks and the Packers, but I do think they are really deep. They have a head coach who they really believe in. And uh, I think they are building something pretty solid. So I love their outlook in 2021. Pete, I know you have to separate your 
fandom from your coverage of the team and you do a good job of it. You try to, at least I know you try hard at that and all of you guys do, but I'm going to say something here to get you excited. And I hope my word means something to you. <laughs> this team gives me extreme 2009, 2010, my jets vibes where the defense is going to be one or two in the league. And the offense has certainly more than enough. It's not elite, but it's probably in the middle of the pack and built such that it can let the defense thrive. I'm not saying they're going to win the Super Bowl, but I'm saying like those Jets teams, it wouldn't be stunning to turn around and see them in the NFC title game. Now it's, it's a whole different story to get over that hump because the Jets lost the title game back-to-back years there with that core. Obviously totally different when you get down to the best four, uh, but it wouldn't stun me in the slightest if they surprisingly make a run to the title game. Yeah, I mean, dude, they were – 30th in yards and 25th in scoring last year. We're still seven and nine um, with that really good defense. It's that defense. I think they might fall a little bit statistically because of the quality of opponents, but I still think they'll be, you know, at the end of the year, teams will, people will say that's one of the best defenses of the league just by watching them week in, week out, make a lot of splash plays and then dominate their weaker opponents when they have a chance. And if that offense can, again, just be average, which I think they certainly have the firepower to do so. And I think this thing can really bump up by three or four wins just like that. So um, they finish with five NFC East games in a row. It's a very quirky yeah. way to wrap up a schedule. But if they can just kind of go 500 against these stud quarterbacks, take advantage of games against the Panthers, you know, the Giants in week two, and kind of enter that stretch where they need to go three and two or four and one and then do so. And yeah, I think they can kind of get on a roll and, and become a surprise team. So I like it, Joe. Your word means something too. You guys are, you guys are <laughs> smart young men. So I definitely hold uh, both your opinions in very high regard. All right, Pete. Time for the Swift 7 for the AFC and the NFC. I'll give you the AFC. Question number one, who is the second best quarterback in the AFC? <sighs> I think I did this last year. I like to pull up NFL.com so I can look at all the logos because I – Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. I am so uh, locked in on Washington that I forget the other teams in the NFL. So give me a second here. All right, we're pulling up teams. And I assume by the top quarterback, you obviously have Mahomes, which is Correct. completely fine. So right, in my I'm mind, looking here. Mahomes is second. In my yes. mind, so I was go thinking with Lamar or Allen. It's or... a little bit nerve-wracking putting such stock in a guy who broke out that hard in one year. But I think I'm going to go with Josh Allen in Buffalo just because the way this league is trending with the mobility being such – an important part of it. And he's got Stefan Diggs, who was the best receiver in football last year. I love Allen's arm strength. I love his way to create both with his legs and that arm and that massive jump he made. Yes, there's always a worry that it's going to come back down to earth, but it also could be the light bulb went on. It's never going to go off again. So for my money, I'll put Josh Allen as the second best AFC signal caller. I have some hesitancy too. You mentioned so many guys. I mean, Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Blake Bortles really recently uh, have all had that like jump and then back down the cliff. So I hope it's not like that for Josh Allen, but I, I would still have a little bit of reservation. Um, number two, AFC rookie quarterback who you think will have the best season, not career, just season, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, or Mac Jones? I think it'll be Trevor. I think he's got the most talent of the three. I think that offense is good enough. You know, it won't be lighting up any scoreboards anywhere, but I think uh, with ETN there is kind of his partner in crime from school. Marvin Jones is a pretty reliable guy that if I were a quarterback, I'd like to throw the ball to him. 
Um, I hope they can survive the loss of Tim Tebow. I think that took the ceiling <laughs> off of their offense a little bit. Um, yeah, I think I think they'll all be – I'm a little worried about Zach Wilson, just the pressure and kind of how Jets quarterbacks have developed lately. But um, I think they'll all be pretty good down the line. But I like Lawrence the best, Mac Jones second, Wilson third in terms of best overall careers, and Lawrence by far to have the best rookie campaign. Which hire did you like the best in the offseason, Sala to the Jets, or are you buying Urban Meyer and the Jags? I'm buying Urban Meyer and the Jags for like a year or two, um, but I'm always worried about that guy's health. Yeah. And I, these guys going from college to the NFL, it works, I think, right away as you kind of refresh your roster and get guys you want. But eventually, will those veterans kind of get tired of this college atmosphere if he's trying to build one? I'm always um, hesitant to buy into those guys for – 10 or 12 years. I think there can be an initial pop and then maybe it kind of peters out. So I like Sala. Um, love the intensity, love having a defensive mind in today's NFL. Cause I think you can surround yourself with offensive gurus and let them take care of that side of the ball. But he seems like he's got a good, uh, a vibe, a, a type of guy that players will rally behind and hell he turned that San Francisco defense to one of the best year in year out. So I'd like to see what he can do in New York where that AFC East feels like when the weather gets cold, that's a, a defense, a plus defense is something you must have. Which AFC week one game are you more most excited for? Steelers at the Bills, the Browns at the Chiefs, or the Ravens at the Raiders in Vegas's new stadium with some fans <laughs> in there? Probably the Browns-Chiefs. Um, I want to see if the upstart Browns can continue their ascension. And the Chiefs, I mean, anytime you can watch them, they're just incredible. I think if you gave me a draft, non-quarterbacks, every position player in the NFL, I would take Tyree Kill over Aaron Donald and anybody else. I think wow. he wow. makes their offense just so impossible to stop. And, I mean, there are fast players all over the league, but for some reason he seems like the one who is truly unguardable. No one can keep up with him. And whether it's him running in motion on one of those pop passes or Mahomes running around and then just hitting Hill for a back-breaking touchdown, uh, I just love watching those guys play. And, of course, it doesn't help to have Travis Kelsey, too. So. Anytime you can watch the Chiefs going up against a foe like that, then I am going to be glued to the television. I'll probably be in FedEx Field press box watching <laughs> Washington Chargers, but I'll be glued to the NFL game tracker to see what those two teams are doing. Is that the road game you're looking most forward to is uh, the Vegas? Yeah, it, and it's not even close. I mean, we did Buffalo, which was really fun because the atmosphere. We've done Green Bay, and that stadium is super cool. But, yeah, I mean, you can't beat Vegas. Oh, yeah. Is Pete's tailgate be segment coming back? Is, is the Pete's tailgate segment coming back? I don't think so. I think they're having me become, like, a real analyst, um, ah, see, which I'm happy real, with. You can be a real analyst. We're happy you're a real analyst because you yeah. are a real analyst. But you still got to find a way to get that in because that was, that was gold. That was yeah. pure, solid gold. And if you could do that, even if it's the day before, I'm going to tell everybody at – NBC. I'll send, I'll send an email. I'll, the I'll Mitch Tischler O line for the Cowboys. You, you got to do this the so day best. before on the <laughs> Vegas Strip and just start asking yeah. people about the Raiders. That's what you got to do. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a brilliant idea. Definitely send the all company email and CC me <laughs> and some of our like GMs on it. I think um, that'll go over really well. Um, just send it out of the blue on a weekend and let's see what they think. But yeah, I, it, the tailgate stuff was really really fun. It was a little stressful to like come up with ideas every week, but once you got out there, those fans are kind of hammered. They go along with whatever you oh. say. And it's some of my proudest work. So I do hope it returns. But regardless, whether I'm a real analyst, a fan guy, somewhere in between, it's going to be really, really cool to be involved with the folks again because it was a little bit – it was unique to have the empty stadiums, but I never want to do it again. 
Uh, number five, who will finish with a worse record by the end of the year in the AFC, the Jags, the Texans, or the Bengals, or somebody else? The Texans are a poop show. I don't trust their head coach at all. I don't trust what's going on with Watson. It just seems like getting that plane off the ground is so difficult. And I don't think if they do get off the ground, it's going to fly very high. So um, it just, it seems like it's doomed before it even begins. They have no talent. They have running backs who were good eight years ago. The defense is a complete mess. So uh, the Texans, I would take under on their win total without a doubt. I could see them going two and 15 or worse. And it being Look just at that. a you got the total debacle. Right, right away. You got the math right, I'm right getting away. Used to it. I've been like, as I go to bed, I'm like working on these numbers. You know, 17 games. All right. Eight, nine, uh, 10, seven. It, it's, I'm just working on it. And I think it's finally becoming second nature. Um, number six, who is a team in the AFC that didn't make the playoffs last year that you think has a shot at making it this year? All right. I have the 2020 standings up right now. And it's interesting because it feels like, you know, the North was had the three top heavy teams. I like all of them to go again. The South has Houston, Jacksonville. Those teams are garbage. Tennessee and Indy already made it. I think it might be the Chargers. I love Justin Herbert. Um, yeah, I think my second pick would be the Patriots, but I don't know if I believe enough in Newton and Mac Jones right away to do that. So I think Herbert second year, I actually like the Brandon Staley higher. Um, and with Herbert blossoming, I think he's also kind of that real deal and has that gun that is just so pure. It's one of the best releases I've seen. And Aaron Rodgers is kind of my gold standard, but seeing some of those Herbert plays off play action where he plants and just lets it rip down the middle of the field to his receivers was really a treat. So, um, between them, Derwin James coming back, et cetera, I think they have plenty of talent. I know they always lose games in the most heartbreaking ways, but hopefully with Philip Rivers out of there and maybe a reliable kicker subbed in, they can finally start seeing their fortunes turn. I think they're due for a postseason berth. And then, Pete, you went on, out on a limb last year and you told us that the Chiefs would win the AFC, and they did just that. So who do you have this year winning the AFC? I would love to be a dark horse here and pick maybe the Steelers, but how about this? I'll do the Ravens. I think with guys like Lamar, you call it like the cap, the capitals theory, like they get this reputation of being chokers in the playoffs and they keep knocking on the door. It's the same with the nationals where, you know, there's all these whispers about, can they get it done when it's time? Who cares about the regular season? Let's wait. Lamar might need to put another year or two of that to finally break through. But I think this year can be the year really good defense. They're always competitive with Harbaugh. They're the preseason studs, if only the preseason matter uh, yeah. on their 18-game winning streak. But I like the Ravens to do it. Um, Ravens-Chiefs in that AFC title game, this time the Ravens advance. Wow. All right. On to the NFC. The best division in football, it's a debate that could be had. Uh, it's hard to argue, though, with the NFC West. Last year was a little different because of all the injuries that decimated the 49ers. But you got Russell Wilson and the Seahawks. You got Matt Stafford now at the Rams. You got Jimmy G back, even though I don't love him too much. And everybody else on that defense with the Niners. And you got the Cardinals, who before Kyler Murray had that small minor injury that derailed the last five weeks of the season, they look like they could beat anybody. So who's your pick at the NFC West? I have the Niners. I'm a little bit skeptical of Stafford. I think he would have been great in Washington because he's such an upgrade over what they have. And I know everybody loves to just bag on golf. I don't think he's anything special, but I think people are just assuming McVay plus Stafford equals 13 wins and a shot to the NFC title game. I'm just not sure it's that simple. Um, I love teams like the Niners 
who have all this talent, but just had the worst luck ever. That kind of stuff tends to regress back to average injury luck, uh, turnovers, things like that. Um, and Jimmy G, nothing special, like you said, but just seems to be someone who this team wins with. His record is really good. And I'm not this guy from the eighties who says quarterbacks with good records are good. I understand that, but I think there's a good enough supporting cast there. And who knows if Jimmy G kind of comes out slow, they can turn on to Trey Lance and he could be electric lightning in the bottle, ignite a special run too. So you have the steady veteran, you have a rookie with a high ceiling and you have a defense that should be returning tons of studs. You have the, one of the best tight ends in football and a couple of really good kind of underrated receivers. So I love the Niners in the West. The season they turned from Alex Smith to Colin Kaepernick, they made the Super Bowl. So could be the same thing. PJ and I will talk about it a little bit more later when we get into the rookie quarterbacks. I don't love Trey Lance this year. He could be the, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if he's the best quarterback from the class. I just don't know about this year. And it was only one preseason game, but five for 14 against backups was a little less than promising um, sure. for, for his prospects this year. But they're a good team. I, I have honestly not thought about it enough. Who might that Cam Akers team. injury That's for the Rams, Pete, I think Darryl it's going to hurt a lot more. It, but Darryl the Rams Henderson were at the up. best when they had Gurley, and Akers is a stud, and Henderson's a pretty big drop-off. And I think I don't see it that way. Team. I think Darryl Henderson runs for about 12 <laughs> to 1,300 yards this season and about eight touchdowns. You're going to be surprised. I, You're going to be surprised, PJ. We'll I didn't expect to have a Daryl Henderson Cam Akers <laughs> debate on this pod. This, that's why this pod's the best. You guys compete on everything. I really respect it. Uh, number two, more likely to not win the division despite being the favorites in their respective divisions, Bucks or Packers? Do you guys like get together and write these questions? Or you just say, Hey, I'm going to do AFC, you do NFC, and, and then that's how it works. Uh, yeah. I give PJ full credit. He actually wrote all these questions this time, and I didn't argue with them because they're good questions. So, <laughs> okay. You said, you said Bucks and Packers? Yeah. The Bucks, and this is going to sound stupid in four months when they win another Super Bowl. And again, this is more of just like my, ge- my generalization with no scientific backup, no stats that prove it. But when a championship team brings everybody back and doesn't really inject new blood, it worries me. And I maybe Tom Brady's the exception. That's a guy who can get anyone to buy in. Uh, but like just some of these guys, I feel like it's impossible to play that deep into a year, win a championship, and then come back and be that hungry. Like Brady, of course, wants to for his legacy. But you know, Jason Pierre-Paul, Chris Godwin, like these guys, are they going to be fully motivated to do it again? I don't know if they can. And I think there's just – winning a title like that breaking through for the first time like i said with the niners things get right maybe the bucks don't get that uh those bounces and it becomes kind of an issue for them recapturing that magic so i'll say the packers will win the north the bucks now i feel like an idiot because i'm looking at that division who the hell is going to take it from them but I'll say the Bucks because I've already too far into my answer and I don't want to backtrack anymore. <laughs> it's tough. Uh, Both divisions, you really can't find a team that you're like, they can take it from them. But yeah. yeah. The Vikings, I think, could surprise some people in the North, but not enough to knock off the Packers. Um, number three, golf in Detroit, Jameis or Taysom in New Orleans, Donald in Carolina, anybody else who you might be able to think of that I'm missing right now. Uh, but which of those QBs who will be starting – for the first time in a new place this year, might struggle the most? Off. I mean, God bless Dan Campbell. He doesn't seem like someone who's going to necessarily help out his quarterback. Um, their receiving group is paltry. It's a humble group, as Charlie Casserly likes to say sometimes. And their defense was the worst in the NFL last year. I don't see it making too many strides, meaning this team's going to be playing from behind a lot. So he might have some pretty enormous yardage totals just from garbage time. But he also doesn't really have a 
very legitimate backup to speak of. So it's not like they'll be getting rid of him, I don't think. And there's no expectations. So why would you move on? Let's see if he can be a decent answer. But I feel bad for that guy going from the lovely confines of L.A., being shipped up to Detroit out of nowhere and having to suffer through what's going to be, I think, a really dark 2021. In the AFC, PJ asks you which playoff team, which team who didn't make the playoffs would be most likely to make it. Reverse that for number four here in the NFC. Team who made the playoffs, who's most likely to miss it this year? It's got to be the Saints. I mean, the, the quarterback change is going to be massively impactful. Michael Thomas, who knows what the hell's going on with his health. Um, Alvin Kamara, his numbers kind of tailed off when Breeze wasn't healthy last year. He's a guy that Breeze threw to a lot, but do Taysom Hill and James Winston have the wherewithal to take advantage of that weapon enough? Um, I know they're pretty stacked on defense, but you're losing a pillar of your franchise who's been the face of it for a decade and a half. And I know Sean Payton's an offensive genius, but it's a lot easier to be a genius with Breeze than it is to be with Taysom Hill or James Winston. So I think of all these questions I've answered, these lovely questions that are catching me off guard, I think this is the one I'm most confident in so far. All right, number five, uh, Dak Prescott. After Brady, Rodgers, and Russ, would you put him in the top five of quarterbacks in the NFC? Brady, Rodgers, Russ. We had Stafford in the conversation, Kyler Murray, Matt Ryan maybe, Cousins, Jimmy G, and Dak. Those were like kind of the top nine or ten that we had. Yeah, I think For me, Dak it was really be... Stafford and Kyler. Stafford and right. Kyler for me were the only two that could knock off Dak. Right. Yeah, I think it could be Dak at number five. I don't have an issue with that. Um, it's weird. He doesn't – There's for some reason, I've never been a huge Dak guy. Um, he just doesn't have, like, necessarily massive arm strength. It always kind of looks like his passes come out a little soft, a lot of stuff underneath. But, you know, there's no question he's success when he's there and how Dallas falls apart when he's not. So there might be some sort of it factor there. So I have no problem putting Dak there. I think it was smart for them to sign him. I'm not necessarily worried about that ankle, ankle injury. I know it gets compared to Alex Smith, but there's no crazy infection he has to come back from. So Dak at five, completely cool by me. That guy was on pace for like 5,600 yards last year before yeah. the ankle break. Uh, so number six, mentioned all those quarterbacks there. Um, with the extra game, do you see a 6,000-yard passer this season? And I ask it under the NFC umbrella because the only real guy I would think in the AFC who would have a shot is Mahomes. There's more guys in the NFC who might have a shot at it. So will there be a 6,000-yard passer now that we have an extra game? 6,000 divided by 17 is 352 yards per game. Uh, my math tells me that is an S ton of yards per game. I know Aaron Rodgers is going to want to just completely torch the NFL, maybe even torch his own team. Um, but no, I don't see it happening. I don't see it happening with Brady. I don't see it happening with Rodgers. Wilson could be kind of an interesting dark horse just because he has to do so much up there. Um, and I'm not crazy about Stafford uh, with the Rams. So I'm going to say no, that is too high of a bar to set even for all these talented guys Dak is actually the one I think could do it if his shoulder was okay like I said last year was on pace for 5600 yeah. so out of those guys I think he could give it a run but I think I'm with you nobody gets there at least this year not not yet uh last one who wins the NFC NFC winner come the end of January for my job I so hope it's Washington I would have so many Twitter followers <laughs> so many people Ravens, listening to Washington. our podcast oh my oh, god PJ just relax dude you have to have an emergency pod for that one <laughs> um give me the Packers I love pissed off Aaron Rodgers I love pretty pissed off Devontae Adams um I love the Smith guys coming off the edge 
I think there's going to be a really fun kind of storyline to follow there. And once he starts playing again, I think he'll be able to put all of this trouble behind him and, you know, he'll leave after this, I think, but for one more year, just do it for the guys he loves. I like Rogers finally getting over the hump and getting into the title game once again. So as of August 19th, 2021 at 535 and 15 seconds at the time of this recording, you've got Packers Ravens in the Super Bowl. Yeah. And I feel okay about that. I, I really do. Yeah. All right. Like All right. Love it. Trivia time, Pete. You yes. usually done three pretty for well three. with these, actually. Three yeah, for three. three. I took oh, it a little dude. personal, Pete, so I had to step it up yeah, a notch for we you. We stepped it up. So. We, we think we stepped it up. Um, chance to go four for four. I feel like we need the who wants to be a millionaire dramatic dimming of my the heart's lights. pounding. The oh music. Your new quarterback, Ryan Fitzpatrick, on his ninth team. Name all of the other eight that he played for. <laughs> you know the drill, 90 yeah. seconds or three strikes. Go ahead, Pete. All right. I'm going to do it in order, just oh, to really rub TJ's face. In order. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Go ahead, Pete. All right. So, Rams. One. We're right there. Uh, I'm already annoyed. I don't know if I can get it in order, but I think it's Rams, Bengals, Bills. Correct. Right there. Rams, Bengals, Bills. Texans. They're all on the list, this. but there's one okay. in between the Bills and the Texans. Okay. Screw the order. I just want to knock them out real quick. Rams, Bengals, Bills, Texans, Washington, Miami, Tampa, Tennessee. Missing one more. Okay. You got 50 seconds left. Plenty of time. Okay. Okay. Plenty of time, Pete. Don't panic. Um, <laughs> got all cocky an... right off the right off the bat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Rattle those off. Them. Okay. It's nowhere in the NFC North. It's nowhere in the NFC South other than the Bucks. It's not You're going to hate East. yourself if you miss it. 30 okay. seconds. Okay. It's, it's <laughs> not the AFC West. He hasn't gone out there. AFC East. Jets. There you go. There yes. There, there it is. <laughs> four for All right. Four. four for four. I tried to, when, when I saw that PJ came up with this, I tried to rank the order of which team he had the most yards for. And I got four of the eight right in the right spot. We have five minutes left here. If you want to do the celebration, I'll now get to a 15-yard penalty because the NFL is no fun. Uh, can, can you, do you think you could get rank where he had the most yards? Total yards with, with his stint with the team? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I know he had his best individual year with the Jets, and I think he started the year after that. I'm going to say the Jets are number one. Mm-mm. Jets are number no, two. That's already it. Jets are two. Oh, well, F that. That's nice. who's number <laughs> yeah, one. No. I was no. just curious. The Bills were number one. He's got, oh, wow. he's got almost almost twelve thousand yards with the Bills. The Jets were in second with six thousand, so almost double with Buffalo. After that, it was the Dolphins third, uh, the Bucks fourth. The Texans fifth, Titans sixth, Bengals seventh, Rams eighth. That was the order yeah. of the most passing yards. So I'll I'll do one more Fitz factoid. Um, there's been like 350 players drafted in the Ivy League from the Ivy League to play in the NFL. Only one player has a longer tenure than him. It's a kicker named I think Nick Lowry, who kicked for 18 seasons in like the 80s yeah. and 90s. So if Fitz can get two more years, he'll be the longest tenured Ivy League player ever. There you go. Something tells me that he'll get it too, because that guy has a million lives in the NFL. If he yep. comes to your team, your starting quarterback better start packing his bags because he's going to get hurt or he's <laughs> going to forget how to play football. There's no question about it. <laughs> yeah. Pete, how'd the Pete. golf game go this morning? It was good. Um, 
I've, you know, I had a lesson a couple months ago and it, it clicked a little bit and I'm playing a lot more consistently. I haven't necessarily scored as low as I'd like to, but I'm much better off the tee. I now putt while looking at the hole. I read an article about how Jordan Spieth did that in like 2015 during the peak of his run. And it helps kind of amateurs who have some trouble with the uh, speed of their putts. And I've been doing it for about a month. And every time I do it, I feel special because someone's like, oh, whoa, dude, that's sick. And it actually really helps. So between the driver being cleaned up the putter being a little more solid. I'm, I like where my game's at. Love to hear that. <laughs> Thanks, PJ. Thanks Joe, for asking. Anything else? Um, I'm good. I'm good. I'm just looking forward to this season now. And when we get to uh, behind the scenes, font Pete Haley analyst for these shows. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> going to be really weird. I'm going to feel so grown up and old, but it's, it's time <laughs> to mature as a football reporter. I actually, you know, I'm trying to get scoops now, trying to, you know, quote multiple people on stories instead of write a 300 word blog off somebody's tweets. So it only took me like five years of working at NBC to wake up and realize I need to do a little bit more. Little Pete's all grown up. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, well, always Pete, good seeing you, man. It's great all the time. And you got this race going on now at C-Mill who's going to be number the first, the first of five. So you might have an inside track, though. You really might, because NBA is two and a half months away. The NFL season is three weeks away. So <laughs> it, it, it seems like Pete Haley's got the inside track at number five over C-Mill. I like the like I like the sound of that. I do think I should be on before him. Um, but thank you again for having me. Always nice to have the text from PJ. He's the only guy on my phone with two letters. So I know when that little tiny sliver of name <laughs> pops up on my home screen, I'm like, oh, it must be that time again. I uh, never so thought yeah. about that, but it's the same thing for me. The only two letter guy. I love that. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. With my girlfriend, I put she had this really dumb nickname that we only have a minute left, so I won't try and go into it, but it makes her text name super long. So I know whenever she's texting me. And then PJ, opposite always know when he's chiming in with something to say. So PJ funny. in the same line of thought as Pete Haley's girlfriend. Look at that. Yeah, Maybe how about that? You'd uncover the Glass of Joe podcast. <laughs> Pete, we can't thank you enough. We look forward to doing it a fifth time. Yep, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Enjoy the rest of your week and weeks and months and episodes. Thank you. See you, Pete. See you, dudes. It's so great talking to Pete again because it means football is back. And PJ, I just love it. Like, last he's Sunday... I was at work and it was a chill day, just, just doing some desk work. And we had Panthers Colts up on the TV and the Colts crowd was going nuts. The Panthers had three consecutive fall starts in the third quarter of a preseason game. Like when have we seen that before? Like fans are just excited to be back. at they football are. Game. And yes, there were some teams that had some fans last year, but that didn't really count. Like, Cowboys fans this year, for example, all right, they were 25,000 last year. Come the first game, they're home this year. It's going to be 100,000. So it's going to be a totally new, different atmosphere, back to normal. Um, Delta variant has some other plans, it seems like. But for the most part right now, we're looking like full stadiums and hoping for the best, fingers crossed on that. But just, again, preseason game, third quarter, three straight fall starts. The crowd was treating it like a playoff game it's awesome it's just well great i was watching uh hard knocks and mike mccarthy the cowboys coach was talking to one of the players and he's or it was during the uh preseason game against the cardinals and he's like man didn't you guys just miss this shit like what you're talking <laughs> about like you know they had fans like that like they had fans last year but there's just a different feel coming into this year knowing that at the start of this uh season stadiums will be filled and it's just – it's nice to have a little bit of normalcy, like you said. Hopefully the Delta variant will simmer down a little bit. But it's just 
Last year was almost a sense of relief that the season was being played. Right. This year is just a sense of excitement. Like we're Absolutely. finally getting back to the way that the NFL and sports uh, should be. And the, fir- the first two things that always kind of mark the return of it for me, Hall of Fame game, we had that episode a, a couple months back with Worm where we talked about our top five sports days of the year. And that was my outside the box number five, I believe I had it as was the Hall of Fame game, just because it's like, hey, football's back. This game sucks. It's guys who aren't even going to be playing in like the second preseason game, but it's back, actual football, fans there. You got the speeches a a couple days after. We had that. And the second thing for me, the second thing that signifies football's back is Matthew Berry's uh, fantasy football 24-hour marathon on ESPN, which was just yesterday. So I'm, I'm all ready for all my drafts. I'm ready for everything. I'm ready for it to be back. And the first real... storyline of the first week of preseason was the rookie quarterbacks because we got to see all five of the first round quarterbacks uh, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones, and of course Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Your takeaways PJ who really stood out to you? It's tough. It's week one. That's the offenses. It's tough but first impressions what were they? I mean that's the thing social media wants to make a big deal out of all these rookie QBs and their first start playing against players that they won't be seeing in the regular season. But overall, I thought everybody had a really good showing. Trey Lance definitely had the highlight, his 80-yard throw. Uh, that was just a dime. He had the highlight, but he was the one where I was most like, uh, the read on him was accurate, where he has great upside, but he's not ready. You go, right. five, you go five for 14 in a preseason game against backups, you're probably not ready yet. And it's kind of what we expected because one game last year at North Dakota State, it's been two years since he's really played. Exactly. Um, but it kind of just confirmed that. He'll Every, progress very quickly, though. Everybody know. else, um, look, Mac Jones, you know how much I like him, my thoughts on him. I think he's going to be just what New England needs. He's not going to go for 350 yards, but he's going to make a lot of completions, all the right reads, take care of the ball. Justin Fields showed you his athleticism. Chicago is so starving, a lot like with Washington football. Taylor Heineke in that playoff game versus Tampa last year <laughs> was great. He wasn't otherworldly, but he was solid. But they are so starving for quarterback play that what he did was just unbelievable to them. So Fields in his first preseason game, it's nice to give the Bear fans a little hope. Um, Zach Wilson, you know, you probably will have more thoughts on what I did. But again, I think Wilson showed you like his talent. There were certain plays. The arm talent are just stuff you can't teach. And he was very uh, impressive. But again, he's got a young team around him. The Jets have a lot of nice offensive pieces, but they also have a defensive head coach who is really going to want to focus on that side of the ball and play complementary football. And then lastly, Trevor Lawrence. We know the Jags are going to be one of the worst teams in football. It's an uphill battle for them. Urban Meyer in the NFL is already head-scratching to begin with. But I think for Lawrence, it's nice to have ETN there with him kind of somebody who he knows well and they can lean on each other. And the fact that the Jags won't have big expectations. They're probably going to be underdogs in every single game they play, except when they're home against Houston. That'll probably be the only one they're favored. (laughs) That's going to be a horrible game. Both of those teams, the only time they'll be favored all year is when they play each other at home. Um, But look, Lawrence has a lot of talent. I'm not as high on him as you are, but he made one throw where he was just sifting in the pocket and just threw it up right over the seam. It was beautiful. Each quarterback had their moments. This quarterback class is going to be really solid. What I like about all these guys is that they're really so different. Mm. Mac Jones is a pocket 
passer. He won't beat you with his legs. He's going to live in the pocket. Zach Wilson, crazy arm talent, but sneaky athleticism. Trey Lance is the Josh Allen where he just throws everything 80 miles per hour, but the raw talent might be as good as anybody. Justin Fields, probably the most complete athlete. The question with Fields is, is he going to become a true passer? When he gets into trouble, will he automatically just go to his legs or will he learn that he needs to be a passer? And then Trevor Lawrence is kind of boy wonder, just that metal makeup, the Andrew Luck, John Elway kind of prospect that when you dream up a quarterback, that is what you look at. So I just think it's fascinating, all five of these guys, how different they are now how good they can all be. Yeah, it was something where, look, you're not going to learn a lot. It was just nice to see them all out there because of all the anticipation that's been built up about what this quarterback class could be. Um, I already mentioned what I had to say about Trey Lance. Not ready yet. Going to be fun to watch. That highlight circulated for a reason. He's going to have a lot of those, but he's going to have a lot of head scratchers until he starts to kind of get his legs under him a little bit more. Um, I feel bad for Trevor Lawrence. Like, he's going to be great. He's a prototypical a one type caliber quarterback, like you mentioned, like a luck, like a Manning, but this Urban Meyer thing is going to blow up. I've been saying it since day one. It is going to absolutely implode, and I'm very excited to see that happen because I don't really love Urban Meyer, and I'm just sad for Trevor Lawrence. That's really it. Um, I have no idea how it's going to go. They're going to be terrible. He is probably going to look bad at times because of what's around him. Uh, it's going to almost remind me a little bit of Joe Burrow last year before the injury. And hopefully the injury doesn't happen to Trevor Lawrence because that offensive line is also terrible in True. Jacksonville. Um, it's going to look like that where he's going to have some brilliant plays, but he's going to have brilliant plays in a game in which he's maybe 23 of 47 and the team loses by 25 because that's just how it's going to be because they're that, that, they're that bad. Um, Mac Jones, I think, is starting week one. I think we've talked about this for a while, and it's trending that way. I'm really convinced now he's starting week one. Seems to be the way it's trending, and I think he'll get more of a look in the next couple of preseason games. Justin Fields, um, the numbers were there. He probably could have done without the comment that the game is slow to him, and a yeah. couple of former players came out and said afterwards, Peanut Tillman among them. Um, and it was like, he probably shouldn't have said that because it's week one of the preseason playing against backups and D coordinators inherently call more vanilla defenses. So yeah, it, it probably was slow. It was probably slower than some college games in the big 10 because of the situation. Understand the situation. It's not going to be like that week one. Um, I, I don't have a read yet on the bears, what they're going to do between him and Andy Dalton, because we for, for all we talk about the bears, let's not forget they were a playoff team last year. As crazy as that is to remember, they played in that Nickelodeon playoff game against the new Orleans saints and we're actually closer in that game than we realize. Um, we, we talk about them like they were the Jaguars, yet they were a playoff team. But Nagy's job is on the line. And does he try to save his job with a mediocre veteran, Andy Dalton? Or does he try to save his job with a potentially bright young quarterback in Justin Fields, where Fields alone can buy Nagy an extra year? Bears could go 7-10 right. and 10 this year, but as long as Fields looks good, Nagy bought himself an extra year. So I agree. curious to see how that goes. I saved Zach Wilson for last. Um, he was six for nine. He didn't throw the ball much. He only had a couple drives. But the best thing I saw is he looked comfortable. He looked really comfortable at the line. He had a couple of really nice throws on third down. His offensive linemen were pumping him up, and, and they were talking to each other. And 
you could tell that they've already formed a bond. We could tell they already formed a bond when he was treating them to beers at Islanders playoff games a couple of months ago, and they were all going nuts there, and Zach Wilson was leading the way. I loved to see that. I'm very excited for this. I think the Jets are finally getting it right. They have a defensive-minded head coach, a bright young offensive coordinator, plenty of weapons around Wilson, and a very, very improved offensive line. Not a good offensive line, but an improved offensive line where you could count on three of the five spots right now. Akai Becton, left tackle. Morgan Moses, right tackle. Elijah Vera, tackle, left guard. It's just a center and the right guard. you got to kind of figure out. They have a couple of decent league veterans in there. So they're, they're doing it the right way. I'm excited about it. However, however, before 2 p.m. on this August 19th of 2021 <laughs> that we record this episode, I got news that Jacob DeGrom is being shut down for the season and that Carl Lawson was carted off due to a presumed torn Achilles. So that's how my day's going today. I'm surprised you didn't bring a beer on with you to record this <laughs> uh, because that's just that's off camera. The I have an unopened, just off camera. I have an unopened bottle of wine. I don't know how much longer that's going to be unopened. So <laughs> training camp and preseason are honestly the most terrifying times. And, as a but football they're necessary fan. evils. They're necessary. They evils are, but it's just, day. you check every day on Twitter just to make sure like that your guys aren't out for the year. You know, mm-hmm. um, the Ravens have had some injuries as well. Obviously, Rashad Bateman's going to be out like six to eight weeks. Marlon Humphrey was nicked up a little bit. Their old line's really banged up. Every team deals with injuries. So you That's just got to really sport. escape the, the season-ending ones. Even remember a couple of years ago um, with the Packers when they were Super Bowl contenders. Granted, they've been Super Bowl contenders pretty much every year. But the year that Jordy Nelson, ahead of the last preseason game, I think it was a camp practice towards ACL. I mean, it's just you can't not have it because then you're just going to have all these injuries happen during terrible football games to begin the season. I mean, last year, the first month of the season was terrible, and how many injuries did we see? That's what the alternative is. So that's not a better alternative to what we have now. So it's it's a necessary evil. It sucks, but it's just the way it is, and we just got to hope, like you said, escape is the proper term to use. People are checking Twitter every day to see, oh, who won the battle today between Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater? Oh, how did Zach Wilson look? Oh, how did uh, Rashad Bateman look in his first couple of practices? That's not what matters. I don't care how many receptions you have in a training camp practice. All that matters is the next day you're not on the injury report and you right. can get closer to the season, and that's all you could really hope for. Exactly. Well, something we haven't talked about in a while is college football. And two that's weeks because, away? It's two weeks away. Well, it's, it's essentially one week away. We got week zero well, next true. week. Where uh, we have five games on the docket. Now, none of the games are great. The biggest game is Nebraska-Illinois Big Ten football. But and that's, if that's your biggest game, it's not a good week. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll probably be out painting a sidewalk or something instead of watching that game. Uh, but, no, then the season starts the following week where we have some really, really good games. But the AP Top 25 came out where they dropped their rankings – no surprise at the top five. It was just a question of kind of how the teams would be ordered. But Bama's one, Oklahoma's two, Clemson three, Ohio State four, Georgia five. Was a little surprised that Ohio State was as low as four. I know they quarterback lost question. Just, that's the thing. Well, that's yeah. exactly the top three teams. Clemson's got DJ Uilangale, obviously. Oklahoma's got Spencer Rattler. And Bama's got Bryce Young, who is the highest recruited quarterback Saban's ever had. Um, so that's why they're three. Ohio State 
has the argument that outside of quarterback, they could have one of the most talented rosters in college football. They probably have the two best receivers in college football on their team. Um, but again, this stuff will play itself out. Clemson and Georgia play each other week one. So the winner of that game will likely jump to three, maybe even two, and then it'll all work itself out. Um, let me ask you, though, Joe, outside of those five teams, as you look at the rankings, who would be your best pick, would you say, to win the national title? Oh, so every year there's a team that starts outside the top 25 that ends up in the top 10 and, right. and a team that crashes a party. Um, this year, as far as teams outside the top 25 that could crash the, the top 10, there's really nobody that jumped out to me. Um, as far as teams, though, that are in the back portion of the top 25 that could creep up, Ole Miss is someone that stuck out to me. I'm not saying they're going to win anything. I'm not saying they're going to crash the playoff. It's the SEC. It's a gauntlet. But they're a team to me, and this is not answering your question. I'll get to your question in a second. Um, they're a team to me, Ole Miss, that wouldn't surprise me to crack the top 10. Lane Kiffin has done a really good job with them. Matt Coral is somebody who can crash the top five of the NFL draft. He could crash the Heisman race. They always seem to have a lot of talent that you haven't heard of almost for, for Ole Miss. They're a team that could crash the top 10. I'm looking at a team outside the top 10, though, to crash possibly the title race. Quietly, quietly, I think this year that team is uh, Florida in the SEC. I, I love the job that has been done there. They lost some talent as well, but they have a lot of players. And, it, and it's not a pick I'd feel any confidence in. It just goes back to what their schedule is, if they could pluck off a couple of upsets. Um, but outside of that, who I'm not trusting Penn State. I'm not trusting Texas. Indiana, they're a nice story. They're not crashing any sort of race. Wisconsin, they always fall behind. Uh, Graham Mertz, there, okay, sure. But North Carolina, all right. Sam Howell back this year, another Heisman contender. Notre Dame, no Ian Book anymore. There's going to be some, some growing pains there. There's really nobody that I look at and say they could win a national title. Uh, they might be in and around the race, fifth, sixth, seventh, but, uh, but nobody really sticks out. So a couple teams I have thoughts on. Outside of the top five, I think the team that has the best chance is probably either Oregon or Iowa State to make it. And really, it's not because I necessarily think they're a top four caliber teams. I just think they have the easiest paths. Iowa State, they have Iowa at home, which could be a really interesting game. And then they obviously have to play Oklahoma. So those are really the only two games going in where Iowa State really feels like, ooh, like these are games that we can lose. And Oregon, they're clearly the best team in the Pac-12. The way that Mario Cristobal and that program have recruited they got one of the better defenders in the country in Kayvon Thibodeau. But Oregon travels to Ohio State week two. So you could afford to lose that game and still make the playoff. But if you win that game, then all of a sudden you turn some heads. Outside of the top 25, um, the, uh, Ole Miss was a great pick. Um, playing in the SEC obviously is tough. But That's the, the key yeah. in today's college football is can you score? And Ole Miss – was Bama's toughest game last year. They scored mm -hmm. almost 50 points on them. They were hanging right with them. Kiffin is going to give everybody in that conference fits. The other team I would say is Boston College. I love what Ooh. Jeff Hapley's done in that program. And the key with BC is their schedule. They only play Clemson. 
They don't play Miami. They don't play North Carolina. Every other game on their schedule, their non-conference game is home against Missouri, which they can win. But Florida State's at home. Virginia Tech's at home. They, I look at their schedule, Joe, and I mean, seriously, Boston College could win every game on there except the Clemson game. And if they just happen to win that, I mean, who knows? We know every single year there's a game in the ACC that Clemson struggles with. Last year it was BC, and who knows if it could be again. So BC would be my, uh, my team to watch out for outside the top 25. Iowa, though, is another one. I mentioned Iowa State playing Iowa in week two. Iowa opens the season against number 17, Indiana, and then they play against Iowa State number seven in week two. There's always a team every year in college football who has like a tough two, three-week stretch to open the season where they get a couple big wins, and then they just jump up in the media right. perspective. And that could be Iowa because they're as consistent as anybody. Kirk Ferentz is the longest-tenured head coach in college football. And Iowa knows their identity. They don't try and reinvent themselves. They don't go after the five-star guys. They know who they are. They want to run the football, play good defense. If Iowa wins both of those games, which I think they could, they could have an interesting case, especially because they don't have to play Ohio State in the regular season. They get Wisconsin on the road and Penn State at home. Those could be two tough, tricky games. But uh, I like Iowa, man. I mean, if they didn't drop their first couple games at the start of last season, they would have gone undefeated. So they're, they're a good program and a good team. Yeah, Florida, the only reason I mentioned Florida, just because Emory Jones, I'm curious to see what Dan Mullen can do with him and his skill set. But like I said, nobody from outside of the top 10 really strikes me as somebody who could crash the party. To your point of teams outside the top five, but inside the top 10 still, Oregon would probably be my pick. Cincinnati, though, too. Again, if, if a team like that goes undefeated, how many times can you keep them out of the playoff? I know well, they the play Notre Dame coming. this year. So I was just getting to that. I was just getting to that last year, last year in the COVID year, the scheduling was tough and they didn't have that marquee game. Really? They have it this year with Notre Dame. So if they go undefeated and Notre Dame is on their resume, how many years can we go with keeping a non power five team out of the equation? This could be the year expansions on the horizon and be a good way to kind of uh, start spreading the, the wealth a little bit before we get to expansion. Like, Hey, expansion's coming and oh by the way these are the teams you're going to get to see more of and here they are cracking the top four so that's a team to, to look at as well but i'm just excited that college football Damn, is back man. there were a couple of stats that stood out to me though uh, and i'm turning a question on to you here um since the turn of the millennium 2000 only two teams in the ap poll that started the season number one won the national title in 20 tries 21 tries or 20 tries, yeah, 20 tries. It was 2004 USC, 2017 Alabama. Yep. Nick Saban's only ever repeated once. Yep. Alabama on paper is ridiculous. Um, can they do it? Can they get another repeat for Saban? Can they be just the third team since the turn of millennium to start number one and lift the trophy? How you feel? I, I don't know, Joe. Uh, gun to my head, I would pick them. I think they're the best team. See, the thing is, so Oklahoma, Spencer Rattler is the kind of guy that can win you a championship, but we've seen Oklahoma in the playoff before, and I just don't know yet if they're ready to take that step to beat a Bama, Clemson, or Ohio State. Clemson, 
see, the thing about Clemson is of all the top five teams, they're getting talked about the least, mm. which would be scary. And Uyunglele is, I don't know about his pro prospects yet. We'll get there when we get there. He is going to be a video game cheat code collegiately. That's what I'm saying. I mean, people forget this kid's first career college start was at Notre Dame. Mm -hmm. One of the most hostile environments in the country. When you're the number one team, you got the target on your back, and he threw for over 400 yards. Now he has the entire offseason as the guy. He's got Justin Ross coming back. We know Clemson's got five stars all over the field. Their D-line is going to be the best it's been since they had Wilkins and Dexter Lawrence and Cleland Farrell and all those guys. Clemson's going to be loaded, man. I can already tell you I love them against Georgia because Georgia's going to be good, but, I mean, there's just this perception around Georgia that they're, like, this is their year. Like, Georgia's going to win the championship this year. And I'm like, you want to bet against Clemson? Because <laughs> I don't, and not a lot of people are talking about them. Um, so... I don't know, man. I mean, I think Bama's the best team, but uh, Clemson might, if I'm putting money down on it, especially because they get better odds than Bama, I would probably bet Clemson. All right, not bad. And, and Uyunglele is going to be a popular Heisman. Oh, I'm with well. you. His numbers, his numbers are going to be very People better learn that name. Very impressive. Uyunglele. I thought Tagovailoa was tough. You got another thing coming this season. Oh my goodness! The winner of the spelling bee this past year—that's that's got to be next oh. year's uh, well, next year's word. You know, Ooh, if football like. doesn't work out. Two and DJ should go play for the Milwaukee Bucks, so you can play with the Antetokounmpo's <laughs> and the uh, the Middletons and the Connaughtons. <laughs> All right. Well, we got to we got to stop the the football for a little bit because we are coming down the stretch a little bit here in baseball. Uh, we'll pick up to to more football next week. Playoff picture in Major League Baseball. Let's start revisiting it now after the trade deadline. Uh. I mean, I'll get this out of the Joe, way. You've been a little off, my guy, uh, yeah. since, since the All-Star game. I'll get this out of the way. Well, so we haven't really had a chance to dive into uh, the, the ramifications of the trade deadline. Um, had we had an episode to deal with that, I would have backed off of my claims that the Yankees weren't going anywhere because they stunned me with the, with the moves they made. I didn't think they were – we were talking about if they were going to be sellers, if they'd stand pat. They went out and got Gallo and Rizzo – Hat tip to them. They, that turned the narrative on its head. After, as soon as those trades were made, I, for all I was saying about Yankees not making the playoffs, immediately as soon as those triggers were pulled on those trades, I stepped off that. Never in a million years would I have thought they would have pressed that hard at the deadline. Uh, I thought Cashman was starting to kind of realize, all right, maybe it's not, not the time this year. They made those moves, and the team has totally turned around from there. So uh, that's what we get and what I get for making declarations before the trade deadline which could change a team's fortunes. And on the flip side of that, the Mets, I mean, just all the stuff that I thought was going to turn around with the injuries because people were supposed to come back. Um, every player had dates on when they were supposed to return and the players dates to just continue to get pushed back and the team has continued to sink. So are it. you more surprised by the Mets downfall or the Braves uptick? Oh, the Braves uptick. Uh, the, the Mets downfall. I didn't want to believe it was going to happen, but the signs were there that it could happen just because we were counting on those guys coming back from injury and getting to their full potential, which they haven't. And Lindor is still out. DeGrom's now going to be out for the year. Um, so the, the signs were there that it was potentially going to happen. I didn't want to believe them, probably a little bit blinded by my homerism for the Mets, but the signs were there. The Braves, though, I mean, they look left for dead. Noah Acuna, and they're turning it around entirely. If, if there was a team that was going to catch and 
and win the catch the match and win the division, I thought it would have been the Phillies. I would have Same. not thought it'd be the Braves. No, um, so the, the Braves are definitely the bigger surprise, I think, for me. I mean, the fact that you lose one of the top five players in the sport and then you just do a total 360, it, it's going to make Freddie Freeman think about a lot of things this offseason oh, yeah. about whether to re-sign. But, uh, yeah, good for Atlanta, 9-1 and one in their last 10 games. They're on a six-game win streak. They are super hot. And then the NL West, Joe, we just keep on waiting for those San Francisco Giants to fade, and they just won't happen. do it. They're up by three on the Dodgers. Um, I don't know. Look, we keep thinking the Dodgers are going to catch them, and part of me doesn't hope they do because, again, me and you want so badly Dodgers, Padres, and a wild card. Oh, yeah. That would just be the greatest four-hour baseball game ever all the great Hall of Fame pitchers that would be used, all the different all-star caliber bats that would get in these huge spots, and the fact that it's L.A. versus San Diego, and it's only a two-hour drive from each other. I mean, those two cities would be absolutely rocking. Um, yeah, it's, it's just crazy, though, because I think the Dodgers and the Padres might be the two most talented teams in baseball, but the Giants are still playing like the best. They're second in the major leagues in home runs. And you would never think that. But, you know, everything they've been doing this year, you just go to their pitching. But their offense has been great as well. That's why they're 78 and 43. Um, but, yeah, man, I, I don't know. I, you, you just – again, there's a lot of time left. It doesn't seem like there is, but there's still about 45 games left. And – uh Dodgers are only three back, and it can go away in a hurry. But good, good for the Giants. Nobody thought they would last no. this long, especially when the they Dodgers got season, Scherzer and Turner. They hmm. reached their season win total, I think it was on August 12th. Their preseason Vegas win total, August 12th, they hit it. It's almost like what the Knicks did this past year, where the Knicks doubled their, their win total in the end. I think it was like 21 and a half, and they had 42 wins, 43 wins. So, like that. so now the big question is uh, – I mean, I think we kind of know who's going to make the playoffs in the NL. The Reds are only a game and a yeah. half back of San Diego, but I think the Padres will hold on. The AL, though, crazy different story. You got the Yankees and the A's, who currently have the top two spots. The A's and the Red Sox have the same win percentage, but the A's own the tiebreaker right now. And then Seattle's three back, and Toronto is four back. I think, think Seattle fades. Okay. Seattle phase. I think this is between the Yankees, Red Sox, Blue Jays, and A's. Two of those four teams. The Blue Jays are not by any means out of it. They're only four or five games back. The Red Sox, I think, are trending the same way as the Mets. And the Mets and the Red Sox have some parallels there where I think they punched above the weight they probably should have been punching at in the first half of the season, looking back on it with the benefit of hindsight. And they both, as a result of that, probably took the conservative approach at the deadline, thinking they would be okay. The Mets only got Javi Baez. Uh, the Red Sox went out and they got Kyle Schwarber and hoped that Chris Sale would be acquisition enough. The Mets similarly hoped that getting DeGrom and Lindor back would be acquisition enough, and those two guys still haven't come back. So there's parallels to be drawn between the Red Sox and the Mets, and I think the slide continues for the Red Sox. So as we're parsing through this, okay, cutting out the Mariners, I think I'm, I'm ready to move on from the Red Sox. Not entirely, but getting close to that. So for me, it's the Blue Jays, Yankees, and the, and the A's as the three I'm looking for for those two spots. 
I'm not betting against the A's to fade. We see it every year. They sub. I mean, year. it's death taxes. The Oakland A's in the wild card. Billy Bean in the wild it's card losing. It's a it. given. Yeah. <laughs> it's a given. And the Yankees and the Jays, it comes down to it. And they've got some games against each other still. But like I said, if we haven't had an episode to, to talk about this since the deadline. Um, I was all over that train. You were hopping on that train with me that the Yankees were out of it. As soon as, as soon as those trades were announced, think of the Polar Express when the kid just pulls the emergency brake on that train. I jumped up and pulled that emergency brake. I'm like, oh, do not. Okay, we can't, we can no longer count this Yankees team out. I, no way I would have thought Cashman made those moves. I thought they would trade players or stand pat, and they were buyers. And they somehow did it getting the, the Rangers and the Cubs to pay all of the money for Gallo and Rizzo. So I don't know how that was managed yeah. to happen, but it, great moves. I think it's going towards a Yankees-A's wildcard game, which I feel like we have every year. But it's either yeah. Yankees-Twins or Yankees-A's. You take your pick on one of the two. Yankees are in trouble, too. The back half of their bullpen, Chapman's just not the same. But now Chad they can finally out-hit teams. Those getting Gallo and Rizzo, they can finally do what they were supposed to do all year, which is just bludgeon teams and outscore them. And they've been doing but it. But they have – It won't work in the playoffs. That's it, what I'm like saying. Like every year, it right. won't work once in the playoffs. Yet, right. We're talking about getting to the playoffs, and it'll help them get there. But once they're there, maybe they get past the A's in the wild card game, but they're losing to the Rays in the – yeah, Tampa's Tampa's my pick. One last thing I'll say about baseball. I love seeing the White Sox stadium filled during a weekday. You yeah. watch a White Sox game, ball out to left field, and like only three rows in the outfield are filled. Now the whole freaking outfield's packed. And I'm like, I love that. We also didn't talk about the Field of Dreams game, which oh, is awesome. MLB, Bob Manfred, you don't done. do a lot right, but that, <laughs> you got right. That was well done. I will say I was bummed, though. They already announced that Cubs and uh, Reds would be Reds. the Field of Dreams game for next season. I think they should make that a White Sox thing. Kind of like Lions-Cowboys on Thanksgiving. It's part of the movie. I get it's another Chicago team, but yeah. I just think it's cool to have the White Sox there every year. I'm, you know, Maybe at least the first couple of years, maybe bring the Cubs in year four, year five. I don't know, but uh, – and Not I think they call. also should play the all-star game there every year. I think that that'd be, would be really see, cool. That's not something I've heard people say, but that's a great idea. If, if teams don't want to have a game that could factor into a playoff race decided on a neutral field like that, that's a good alternative. Nobody cares, all those all-stars nobody walking cares out of about the, the all-star game. That'd be yeah. sick. No one cares about the all-star game as no. it is. That's a reason Put it to there. care about it. That's yeah, a reason like, to care about it. That yep. is a genius idea, PJ. I Why, love it. Thank that. you. Why, thank you. <laughs> I, I should love trademark that. that. If anybody <laughs> listens to this and they go tweet it, I'll come find you. That's my idea. No, I think it's a good one. All right, Joe, before we end, uh, we always end with trivia. But again, going up until the NFL season, we've been doing prop bets. And because we missed last week, we'll give two more prop bets. So you go ahead and uh, start us off what you got. All right, so for the first one, I'm going to go with a season award. Um, there's a couple here that I like. There's a couple more that I might get to in the coming weeks of doing this. But uh, after seeing, this is probably me overreacting a little bit, and it's probably me maybe kind of sipping the Kool-Aid a little bit too early. But after seeing the first couple of preseason games for the Cowboys, after watching Hard Knocks, I'm buying the Micah Parsons stock. And – when it comes to defensive rookie of the year, it really comes down to a defensive lineman or a linebacker. It's rare for a corner because corner is so tough to quantify. 
because the best corners in theory should have no stats because you shouldn't be throwing their way. So it's tough to quantify. Voters don't always get it right when a corner is that good. Um, Patrick Sertan is, is the leader in terms of odds for defensive rookie of the year. But for that reason, I'm out on him. I sound like Shark Tank here. For that reason, I'm out. I'm out. Ask for <laughs> um, too much equity in the company. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so I don't like corners when it comes to that. There's a couple of the good defensive linemen, Jalen Phillips, Quiddy Pay, who could rack up the sack totals. But Micah Parsons in that defense with Quinn as the head coach, I mean, um, head coach, as the defensive coordinator, he's going to have a big role. Think of some of the players that have played in Dan Quinn defenses and the linebackers that we've seen in Atlanta that helped them get to the Super Bowl. Micah Parsons is going to have triple-digit tackles this year. He's going to have a handful of sacks. He's going to have a couple of interceptions just because he's all over the place. Filling the stat sheet alone, the star power of the Cowboys, his star power and name recognition from Penn State at plus 750. I'll take him for defensive rookie of the year as my first one. What's your I first like one? What we got? Uh, mine is that the highest individual of running backs will rush for over 16 and a half rushing touchdowns. Three guys last season had uh, 16 or more touchdowns. Kamara had 16. Dalvin had 16. Derrick Henry had 17. You, f- you factor in the extra game this season, and I think we can get at least one running back in there. Um, that extra the game, the, uh, over was minus 120, and the under is plus 100. So, minus you know, Kamara had 16 rushing touchdowns last year, and seven of those came in one game. But, yeah. you know, again, you add an <laughs> I extra forgot game. about that game. Yeah. I forgot you that add, game. Wow. You add an extra game, and uh, – I mean, that could happen. Maybe a seven-touchdown game could be in week 17. So 16-and-a-half is high, but I think at least one guy can get there, whether it's Chubb, whether it's Derrick Henry again. Maybe just J.K. Dobbins has a huge year. Cam Newton had 12 touchdowns rushing last year. So, uh, I mean, who knows what we could see. But I think at least one guy gets over that 16-and-a-half number. All right, so I'm looking still – at uh, a couple of things that I want to workshop in terms of the player awards that I, I got to think about a little bit more in the coming weeks. Um, but there's a couple that I, I do like, I'm going to go over now to, um, to win totals. And this is where I probably get myself into trouble because I'm dipping into the same team twice in back-to-back shows. Uh, last show I had Washington football team to win the division at plus two seventy. Um, and if I believe that, I clearly think they're going to win more than eight and a half games. So I'm going to, it's kind of, a, it's kind of a hedge. I see it as for me, it's either a hedge or a double victory the way I'm looking at it, because either they win, they win the division and to win the division, they're going to have to have more than eight and a half wins. Or if somebody else surprises, like the Cowboys have a better season than we kind of expect, or I don't think the Giants or Eagles will, but so the Cowboys really the only team in my opinion the Cowboys, they have a better season than we expect, and they go – Cowboys go 10-7. and seven. Washington football team goes 9-8. and eight. Cowboys in the division, at least I win my win total bet. So I'm going Washington football team over eight-and-a-half wins as a sort of hedge but also chance to, to win them both sort of deal, and that is at uh, minus 115. All right, and then I'm also – dipping into a team that I used last or two weeks ago off a player. I had golf under 4,000 and a half passing yards. I'm going plus 700 that the Lions will be the lowest scoring team in the NFL this season. That's a, 
That's a deep dive, but a good pull. They have uh, they have the third best odds. Houston was first, Jacksonville was second, and then the Lions were third. My thing with Houston, we'll see what happens with Deshaun Watson, but Deshaun gonna, Watson's not going to take a snap this year. I don't think you don't and think it's so. Looking like that, it's looking like that. I don't think well, he's take a snap this my year. thing with Houston and Jacksonville is just like the Lions; they have first-year head coaches. But I think they're going to quit on their coaches pretty early on in the season. <laughs> they're going to be down by a lot. We're going to get a lot of garbage time, high-scoring games. The Lions, I'm buying into what Dan Campbell's doing. I don't think they're going to be a good team this year and probably not next year. But I think he's going to get his guys to buy in. And uh, we mentioned, you know, golf's not good. And he's a defensive-minded head coach. He's going to want to run the ball, play good defense, complimentary football. He's going to want games in the 20s. And uh, I just I don't think the Lions will score many points. So I think at plus 700, pretty good value for them to be the lowest scoring team in the NFL. That's not bad. And I think that Dan Campbell is probably the craziest person that I've ever seen in my entire yeah, life. Crazy. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I don't know if you saw if this was covered last episode, but the days are blurring together. Or if it was announced since then, what he drinks? Morning routine, yeah. Oh, what, he's, what he drinks? Yeah, yeah. He drinks two forty-ounce coffees every morning with and two espresso two shots, shots of espresso yeah. into each. So it's eighty ounces of coffee and four espresso shots. How does he what? not like die? How does he not have a heart attack? <laughs> I mean, I, and that's just—I mean, that's just mind blowing. I can't. <laughs> I don't even know what to say about. How would that, that even taste good? You know, like you got to drink all that. At least if you're going to drink something like that much quantity, I would want it to taste good. Bonkers. Like, if that's Arnold Palmer iced tea, I can get behind <laughs> that, all right? But, like, some cold brew, ugh. I don't know, maybe. It's not happening. All right, uh, trivia time, PJ. Where are we at? Trivia time, Joe. You're up by one, 22 to 21. I will give you my question first. All right. Just need four out of these five guys. So, recently, I won't tell you who it is, but he is one of the players in this top five. There are five active players in major league baseball that have 2000 career hits active 2000 hits correct so one of these guys just joined this company there was four now there are five can you name me four of the five active players with at least 2000 hits joey Votto. Votto was the guy who it just happened yes. to correct yes uh miguel cabrera he's two hmm albert pujols he's three need one more all right. See, the catch with your questions is the last one's always a hard one. The first couple are good to get. The last one is a hard one. Nobody on the Mets, the Nats, the uh, Yankees. Uh, uh, no. No one there. Gosh. Could Altuve be there yet? Altuve is not there. No. Okay. You got 50 seconds left. Mm. Who is a good veteran still that I am blanking on because I'm an idiot? Uh, I don't think Trout could be at 2,000 yet. He could be. Is it about eight years? No, no, he can't be. Um. 20 seconds left. God. <laughs> I powered through the first couple. Yeah. Is it someone like obvious? Dang. 10 seconds. Oh, man. Oh, I'm going to hate you're gonna, this. You're going to be pretty mad with yourself. I'm going to be Five very seconds. mad. Is it Mike Trout? 
It's not Trout. All right. One more uh, guess. Two seconds. Uh, Yadier Molina. Yes. Actually, that's correct. Oh, God. He was the only buzzer. He was the only other veteran I could think of, but I didn't know if he'd be there that that high because I know, like, all right, he's a catcher. He's missed some games at times. He only came to my mind because they were talking about uh, today, actually, if he'd sign an extension or not. Uh, All right. Well. Well done. The other one was, uh, was Cano. He's not playing oh, right now, God. but he's still in baseball. You said nobody on the Mets, and I'm like, oh, he might not get Cano. Oh, God, PJ, you had to bring up Robbie Cano on a day I where know. I lost Jacob DeGrom and Carl Lewis. I, I know. <laughs> Number six on the list, who's at about 1,850 hits, who I wasn't sure if you would guess was Nelson Cruz. So See, I, I don't know because I know he's just home run for the most yeah, part, that's but fair. accumulation. Yeah, I, I had Yachty was one of the first guys that came to mind. And like Trout, I wanted to just save him to the end for a Hail Mary if I couldn't think of anybody else because I didn't think he'd be there. I know he's a great veteran, but his catchers, just you don't think of catchers like that. But he also crushed my spirits for the Mets in 2006, and here we are in 2021. So a long enough time and where he just accumulated. helped you. There you go. Yeah, there you go. All, All right, right, well done. You got one. Outside the box here a little bit for your – for years, college football. We were just talking about the top 25 for the, for the um, AP poll. Uh, so I want to go back to the little memory test here. The final college football playoff ranking last season. Obviously, you know the top four. Yeah. You obviously know the top four. So from five to ten, give me five of the six teams that fell in the five to ten range of the final college football playoff ranking roll last year. So five last. through ten. Five through ten, you got to give me five of those six teams. Got you. All right, so let's see. So uh, one, two, three, four was Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Notre Dame. So we got A and M was five. Correct. Um, Oklahoma and Florida were up there. Yep, they were six and seven. Um, give me two more. Yeah. Was was it Iowa State and Coastal Carolina? Iowa State was ten. Coastal Carolina is your first strike. They were twelve. Okay. So you got to get me one more. It was number eight and number nine. Right. Um, you got a whole minute. Oh, left. yeah. Cincinnati, Georgia. Yep. And they play each other in a bowl game. There you go. There you go. <laughs> nice. nice, nice. Easy, on the easier side, but still out of the box. So I figured. Yeah. You know nice. What? Give it a shot. We both. Well, we, we both each got one. Yachty, yeah, I mean, you, go. you got it right at the buzzer. If we had an <laughs> official, it might have given it after the horn, but I'll give it to you. Well All done. Right. All right. At 23. <laughs> Uh, big thanks to Pete Haley. It's so great that it's football season Always. again. Um, I mean, as the season goes along, you can continue to look for our, our consistent football guests, hopefully Brian Mitchell, JP Finley, all of our guys from NBC Sports Washington. PJ, uh, I, will, I will leave it at congratulations on a new job. I don't know if you want to announce it yourself yet exactly what it is. But I will leave it at congratulations on a new job. And if you want to say what it is now, you can say what it is. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, I'll be doing uh, some sports betting and, uh, and fantasy sports research for NBC Universal. So uh, looking forward to getting into that. You know, I, I really don't like sports betting all that much, as you know. <laughs> so it's going to be a really tough job. But It's uh, going to be tough to swallow, though, again, when we go to, to, to best bets of the week. And I beat you oh, again. I know. And you're the it's one who actually does it for a living. Joe, now. that's what I'm not looking forward to is I'm actually going to do like research on this stuff now, thinking like, all right, now I know my plays. And when I lose, it's just going to be even that much more disappointing. You know what? Because of the pandemic and because of me being in Florida and you being still back in the DMV, you still haven't paid off the bet. 
I, I do. I owe you some Waffle House. When I'm back in November, Waffle House in Jets gear, and we will settle that. That's and, right. What Jets jerseys do you have, by the way? Do you have any um, Jets jerseys of current players? I was just going to say that. I do not. <laughs> I was going to say, do Darnold was probably the last I one. Have, I have Sam Darnold. Interestingly enough, I wore that jersey once. I bought it when the Jets released the new jerseys uh, two seasons ago now. I went to training camp that year. I got it signed by Donald. Wow. And I never wore it again because I had the signature on it. Yeah. And now he's a Panther. So there's sure. that. Naturally. I have Muhammad Wilkerson. Okay. I have Jamal Adams. And I have – the last one's a good one because he will be a Hall of Famer as a Jet, even though he won a ring with the enemy. Revis. I have Darrell Revis. Yes. Solid. But, but it's, it's at the point with Revis now, kind of like, you know – David Wright for the Mets for me and Henrik Lundqvist. Although Henrik Lundqvist might come back to the Rangers, it seems like now, um, where Darrell Rivas will forever be a fine jersey to wear to a Jets game. He's a sure. team legend, going to be Ring of Honor, probably going to have number 24 retired, going into the Hall of Fame in three years? Has it been two years since he retired? Maybe four years? But he's, he's three or four years away from the Hall of Fame. So uh, I will probably give you uh, either a T-shirt or the the – Muhammad Wilkerson one. Nice. So that's probably what I'll decide on. That's probably oh, that's the struggle, on. man. Look, there was one off season where I'm waiting now. I'm not buying. I'm I'm no longer buying a Jets jersey until they sign their second contract with the team. Screw yeah. it. No that's... more. Kai Becton, Elijah Vera Tucker, Elijah Moore, Zach Wilson. When you sign your second contract, I'll get it. That's it. That's, I'm sticking that's with fair. Revis until that happens. That's I've been fair. Too many times though. Yeah, so I have a Lamar jersey. I got that during his MVP season because I'm like, oh, he's going to win MVP and he's going to be here for 10 years. So that's a safe investment. And then I got Marlon Humphrey once he signed his five-year deal. So I'm like, that that should be pretty safe because, look, I'm with you. There was one offseason. I had a Flacco jersey, a Suggs jersey, a C.J. Mosley jersey, a Manny Machado, and an Adam Jones. And that was the offseason where all five of them got dealt. And I'm just like, well, this is – so that's why I'm waiting to buy on Orioles gear. I'm probably going to get Adley. Um, oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. but, you know, I mean, I love yeah. Cedric Mullins. I, I mean, I'm good for the Mets. I got Alonzo. I got the Grom. Yeah, see, that's uh, safe the, stuff. The Rangers, I have, a, I have one with the blank name on the back. So it's just, it's just that. And then I also have a Lundquist, which is obviously safe. Even McDonough, he was captain for a couple of Hockey's years. Hockey's good right? because those dudes, if you're like a staple of the franchise, you're pretty, yeah. you're pretty secure. Yeah, my, my, I'm, my uh, McDonough one is fine. Uh, I'm trying to find a Ryan Callahan one on the cheap since he's been gone for a few years because there's a backstory of how Ryan Callahan inadvertently led me to my girlfriend and uh, wow. he was my favorite player. So it's, it's uh, I'm looking for a Ryan Callahan one, but I actually, when the, when they released the alternate Liberty jerseys this year, when all the NHL teams had the third Jersey, I did wait. Cause I wanted to, the Rangers have such a young crop right now. I wanted to see who kind of rose from that young crop to be the best. Capococco is good. Lafreniere is going to be great. Um, if you would have asked me a year ago now, I probably would have said one of those two. You ask me now, it's reigning Norris Trophy winner, Adam Fox. And, Fox. And, <laughs> and for us, I mean, we've spent three years for NBC Sports Washington typing hashtag Johnny for Norris for John Carlson, and he still doesn't have his own Norris. And Adam Fox in his second year gets a Norris. So uh, Adam Fox is now probably going to get the captaincy, and he's probably going to sign a deal for six years and like $60 million. So. He's the way I'm leaning now for the Rangers, but what uh, does, are always fun. What does the Fox say, Joe? 
That's what I want to know. <laughs> the Fox says the Rangers are going to be good this year. Okay. <laughs> That's what the Fox says. <laughs> is that what the Fox says or is that what the Joe says? <laughs> <laughs> That's what the Joe says translating for the Fox. <laughs> I see. I see. Well, thanks again, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks again to Pete. Looking forward to when we have him on for the fifth time during the season. Always so great to catch up with him. And we'll see you next week.